Opening thought, Tom Hardy is my top pick for the next Wolverine now that Hugh Jackman is giving up the adamantium claws. What do you think of that? Hello fellow geeks, this is Jay Shear, host of the Story of Geeks podcast and co-founder of the Reclamation Society. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. As a writer, I'm very interested in discovering how our favorite stories influence us both personally and how they influence our culture. To that end, the Reclamation Society and the Story Geeks podcast is all about exploring our favorite sci-fi, fantasy, and comic book stories. I'm a guest on today's episode. Daryl Smith, the other host of the Story Geeks podcast, is asking me the questions today as we review and discuss the final movie in Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, The Dark Knight Rises. We'll be discussing the story, the characters, and the major and minor themes weaved throughout the film. If you haven't seen The Dark Knight Rises, we are going to spoil the movie. We normally give a spoiler-free review to start the show, but this time around, since this is an older film that most of you have seen, even our review contains a few minor spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled at all, Go watch the film before you even listen to this podcast. If you're new to the Story Geeks podcast, thank you for joining us and don't forget to subscribe. If you're a frequent listener, thank you. There are a ton of geek podcasts out there, but we appreciate you choosing ours. To learn more about the Story Geeks podcast and other Reclamation Society projects, be sure to visit www.reclamationsociety.org. You can even watch our Star Wars fan film there, which now has over 26,000 views. We've received a ton of positive feedback, so check it out and leave us a comment. The link is in the show notes. And also, we do give away free comics on this podcast. How cool is that, right? How can you get free comics from us? Well, one, like our Facebook page. The link is in the show notes. And two, review the Story Geeks podcast on iTunes. We give away comics monthly and you only have to do the review of the podcast once to be eligible. All right, I'm going to turn the podcast over to Mr. Daryl Smith. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Story Geeks podcast. My name is Daryl Smith. I will be guest hosting today's episode. And guest hosting today's episode feels a little bit like maybe Taylor Hawkins playing drums for the Foo Fighters, which is, you know, fronted by a legendary drummer. Or maybe James McAvoy playing Professor X in the presence of Patrick Stewart. Because my guest today is Jay Shear, who is the real host of the Story Geeks podcast. And that's not nerve-wracking at all. <laughs> well, for one thing, I would say, one thing I would say is that um, I don't think we can call you a guest host anymore. I think you're just like you're another host. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think at that point, because you've done so many. And, and second of all, you, you can't compare me to Patrick Stewart. Or... It's not just because of the bald thing. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I'm not, I, I'm not legendary. I guarantee that. No one out there is thinking that I'm legendary at all. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Well, today we are going to finish off our trilogy um, of podcasts on Chris Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. And we're going to talk about The Dark Knight Rises. Um, which is a fantastic movie. I love this movie. Um, and you know, watching it again last night, I loved it even more than I think I ever have. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. I, I feel like this one people rag on this one, you know, because I mean it is arguably the weakest of the three. Right. But when you're talking about two of the best movies ever made being the weakest of the three, is that's not saying a whole lot. That's true. And I think people just want to poke holes in Chris Nolan. 
<laughs> I think they just want to find something bad, you yeah, know? Right. Because everything he does is good. It's like, yeah, that's true. This guy has to suck eventually. Yeah. So anyway, let's start with ratings. Yes. So, Mr. Shear, <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10, your favorite scale. Yeah, my favorite. What, what would you give the quality of The Dark Knight Rises? So, uh, I, I think, like you, you said, of the three movies, it is it is the weakest of the three. I think... So for me, um, it's the first time in this trilogy where I had issues with the writing, oddly enough. Hmm. Um, so I still give it a super high rating because it's Chris Nolan. And I actually don't think he had a hand in this particular part of it. The These couple scenes that I'm thinking of that bothered me a little bit. Okay. There's, a, there's a scene... Uh, with Selena Kyle, where she basically just tells you exactly what she's trying to do and what exactly what her motivation is. Yeah. Which is so weird for a Nolan movie. The whole clean slate thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's a weak point for me too. Yeah, but I, I, that's just... So, I think a lot of movies do that. Marvel does it all the time, especially in the Avengers movies because yeah. they don't have time to like develop those things. Yeah, yeah. This is the first time I've seen Nolan do it, and I was kind of shocked. And then there's a couple, uh, there's actually a couple cheesy Batman lines, which I thought was weird coming from Nolan. Like what? Uh, there's the line where, well, well, he hasn't seen me, or whatever he said. Like, something, <laughs> something along those lines. I can't remember what the actual line was. And I just thought, like, wow, like Nolan is so much better than that line. Mm. Um, so, now, granted, this is still a Nolan So movie. David Goyer wrote that line, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I did. I went on IMDb, and I looked up every movie and see who had a writing, just to see who had a writing credit. Uh-huh. And, um, but, so I guess for me, it's, it's still a really strong uh, movie. It's still a really strong film. I think they probably had maybe a little less time to work on the script because of what happened with Heath Ledger. Yeah. Because um, they probably wanted to incorporate Joker in some way, shape, or form. I think that was the plan. I, I heard rumors of some sort of Hannibal Lecter-ish type appearance. Yeah. You know? So my guess is this. My guess... So I would say like Batman Begins is a 10 out of 10. We didn't, we didn't actually do this rating scale back That's then. That's true. Yeah. So uh, Back in a, the day. Yeah, back in the day. From a quality standpoint, I would say it's uh, Batman Begins and Dark Knight are 10 out of 10. In fact, if I could give Dark Knight a higher score, I would. Like yeah. From a quality standpoint, I think it's just phenomenal. I said the best performance by a character ever, uh, by an actor. Um, and Heath Ledger, but this so this film to me gets a little gets maybe like an eight and a half because to mm. me it's not quite as good as those two. Now, in comparing it to other films and other superhero films, it's still off the charts amazing. Yeah, but there's just a couple different scenarios where I just didn't um, I didn't resonate with it the way that I resonate with the first two films. Hmm. I wonder if some of that is a product of, of of Nolan being backed into a corner a little bit per se. Yes. Because, you know, he has all the clout you mm-hmm. could possibly have in Hollywood. Studios never hold him back. He can do whatever he wants. He can pick whatever projects he wants. But this was one of those projects where it's like, okay, I have to make another Batman movie. I have to end this story somehow. Right. Like, there were some parameters that I think maybe he's not used to. So, I don't know if that had anything to do with it. I, personally, I'd go just a tad higher. I'd give it a nine. Okay. Because, um, yeah, Batman Begins and Dark Knight are 10s for me, too. Well, Dark Knight is a 15, 16, yeah, something like exactly. that. But, it's a 20. Yeah. <laughs> but I would give this one a 9 as well. Um, 
For me, one of the reasons is, and we'll we'll talk about characters more later, but is uh, the whole Miranda Talia mm. uh, dynamic. I wish that they would have done a little bit more with that. You know, Talia is a very power. Not she doesn't have powers or anything, but there's a lot of gravity to her in the comics and stuff like that. And she's a big important character. And right. I guess maybe I kind of wish we would have had more time with her as Talia rather than just yeah. that last five ten minutes. But yeah. um, but that's a small thing. Obviously, I love this movie. Um, how about story depth? One to ten. Um, I love telling you that you have to say something on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> I know. I'm the one that's always asking. Yeah. Uh, so, um, story depth for me is an interesting one because Nolan inherently, in all of his stories, is tackling subject matter that has depth to it. Yeah. Which I appreciate. I think in this film, the he's saying some very deep things but some I don't actually agree completely with some of the conclusions that he comes to but that doesn't necessarily make it shallow no it's still deep it's still deep so I, I would say I would probably give it an 8 on a story depth rating maybe eight and a half, eight, eight and a half in that range okay yeah what about you same thing I'd go 9 so uh, okay same answer as yeah. before yeah um I think what struck me a lot when I watched it this time is you know, in the first two movies, you can arguably say that Bruce Wayne is not one of the strongest characters in the movie. Right. In this one, I think he is. Mm. And so I think we kind of finally get some of that depth out of Bruce that was maybe lacking in the first two. Yeah, that might be, that actually might be my issue with it is that I don't know if Bruce is a deep character. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, I mean, he's basic, but I don't know, I feel like we get more of a journey from him partially and again this is something we'll talk about later but partially because his story gets to end yes and that's one of the things i love about this movie is there is i can't think of another batman story movies comics tv anything yeah where bruce gets to stop being batman and he right. gets to end his struggle and he gets to win you know right there's times when he stops but it's because he gets killed or crippled or Right. Has his memory wiped or whatever, but this is the only one I can think of where he get he just gets out yeah. and gets to live life. That's a great point. That's a great point. So um, what about um likelihood to refer? Likelihood to refer. Well, like all the Batman films, like I'm just gonna refer it. Like there's no question. Like I'm gonna say that we should refer Like all the Batman films, like the killing joke. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> like all the Nolan Batman. Like Batman films. and Robin. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I'll yeah. Shut up. Yeah. You have to see George Clooney's Batman. <laughs> more, more so from a standpoint of what not to do. Um, it's a different experience, but you kind of do have to see it. You do have to see it, yeah. You won't appreciate <laughs> the Nolan films until you see George Clooney butchering Batman. <laughs> um, no, so I think uh, from my standpoint, I would say that likelihood to refer again it's not as like the first two films are like you must see this film you like if you if you enjoy superhero movies at all you must see it um so i mean i think you you essentially you have to you have to finish the trilogy so if you've watched the first two nolan is working an arc 
with Batman. Yeah. And like you said, like, this is... He, you have to finish the arc at some point, and especially because the the first two movies weren't really about Batman as much. Right. The first one was, like, like his development into the Dark Knight, um, or into Batman. But, uh, so I think you, I think if you've seen the first two, you have to refer it. Again, on a, as a superhero film, it's phenomenal. And yeah. it's dealing with the right kind of issues, the kind of issues that I care about. I would say, though, that um, as a superhero film, like, you have to refer, probably, I'm going to go, like, eights all across the board. It's not, it's not quite to the level of, you know, if you told me, like, Dark Knight. I'm like again. It's like a twenty. It's double the scale. I've never yeah. seen a movie that that that's done that well in the superhero um, space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one, watch it if you love Batman. Finish the arc. There are some cool new toys, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit about the um, the bat. The bat is amazing, and actually, it's it's actually I don't know between that and the I don't know bat cycle or whatever they call it. In bat pod. Bat Pod, those two, those two vehicles are pretty amazing. I, I like the old school Batmobile. I think a little bit better than the Tumbler. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love the Tumbler. <laughs> I don't dislike the Tumbler, and it's and it's very military. Yeah. Um, which which makes more sense. Yeah. But from a design standpoint, like that, the whole like the sleek car is a good kind of I don't know kind of a cool thing. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't know eight for me. Okay. I would go ten. Okay. Simply because. The ending of this movie mm-hmm. is one of my favorite endings of any movie ever made. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Just the experience. Obviously, spoiler alert. Yes. <laughs> we should have said that a while spoiler ago. Spoiler alert. Well, we'll, I'll, I'll, we'll say spoiler alert. Now we'll end the review time. So if you just listen for the review portion of the show, now we're going to just jump into some spoilers. So, Although be, we've be already warned. spoiled a few things during the review time. So. <laughs> well, that's true too. Spoiler alert for the entire podcast. So, sorry. If you haven't seen this movie yet, then just, you know, you're way behind anyhow. <laughs> um, but no, just the experience of, of A, watching Bruce get to leave Batman. Hmm. And that scene when Alfred goes to the cafe yeah, and he sees him across the room, just like he always had hoped he would. Yeah. And then, and then just the scene with um, Blake... Going into the Batcave and standing on that thing as it rises up, you know, that's, that's just so good. Yeah. It's so satisfying. It's like you get to see Batman end, but you know Batman will continue. Yeah. And it's so good. That is cool. So, yes, it's not quite the film that the first two were. Yeah. Um, but I think for its own specific reasons, I would refer it just as you like the just as heavily. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I would love to see. I, I have to admit, I would love to see a Nolan film with Joseph Gordon-Levitt as yeah. the new Batman. Yeah, that would be amazing. So would I. It's never yeah. going to happen. No, but so would I. <laughs> it will not happen. I would actually settle for a non-Nolan film that's just set in the same world with Agreed. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like you know, agree. Someone else can do it. You know who would be great at it. This is a director that not a lot of people know about. Well, I guess they do know about him, but a guy named Joseph Kaczynski. What's he did? So he directed Oblivion and oh. Tron Legacy. Yeah. He's Nolan-ish. He has the same sensibilities, the yep. same visual style. Um, He's trying to say something deeper. Yeah. Films, yeah, and I just, I love his approach too. Yeah. And he's off to a slow start. Yeah, he's working on his third movie now and it's coming, but, mm-hmm. but he could do it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I think... Joseph Gordon-Levitt is probably 
um, you know, I don't know, top ten for me in terms of actors right now. So, really? Yeah. So I would I would love to see him do something like this. That'd be really cool. I think I actually personally think he would do a better job than Christian Bale, <laughs> which may be a controversial statement, but well, I think he might do a better acting job than Christian Bale. Yeah. But it's good that he's a different character because I don't think he would be as True. good as Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah, that's, oh yeah, actually I would agree with you on that. So, 100%. And we'll transition into characters and talk more about that. And there's a specific reason why I feel that way. And we can come back to that. Um, but before we talk characters, let's backtrack a bit and talk about the ending of The Dark Knight. Because mm. this is something we sort of left off of our Dark Knight podcast. Which was sort of a huge error. Because it's a big part <laughs> of the movie. But it makes sense to talk about it now. So... Also, spoiler for The Dark Knight, if you haven't seen that one. But um, So obviously that movie ends with the death of Harvey Dent after yes. becoming Two-Face. And I know we've argued about whether or not he's actually dead. Right. But if you go back in Dark Knight Rises, they confirm it. Mm. They actually say that he died. Someone makes a reference. I forget who it is, but okay. it's, it's confirmed. I was listening for it in there. I didn't hear it, but... It's one line. Yeah. But uh, it's there. Well, I took it as when that line came came up. I took it as Harvey Dent was dead. Because so you two... just you just want to get all <laughs> you just want to be all crazy about it. You want to read into it. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe a little so, bit. Harvey Dent is dead, and so is Two Face. They're both dead. <laughs> yeah, Two Face is alive. Yeah. Hashtag Two Face is alive. Yeah. Anybody uses that hashtag out there, you're my best friend. Yeah. Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market. Better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what? I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount thanks for letting me interrupt now let's get back to the show so yeah so harvey denton dies after becoming two-face and you know throughout the dark knight what harvey dent did made a lot of good he was a hero he was the hero gotham needed as they said um and then he you know he cracked after rachel died he became two-face right. killed a bunch of people went crazy but most people didn't know that. Right. So after he died, they had a choice. They could reveal what he did, mm -hmm. thus potentially crushing everything that he had built before he cracked. Or they could hide it mm -hmm. and let people believe that Harvey was a hero and let Gotham experience that optimism. So that's obviously what they chose to do. And they blamed it on Batman right. um, and let him be the villain. Mm-hmm. And then we know from watching The Dark Knight Rises that that was the last time anybody saw the Batman for eight years. Eight years, yeah. Yeah. So, 
that was the decision they made. And obviously a big theme of The Dark Knight Rises is them dealing with the repercussions, right. so to speak, of that decision. So that's a good place to start. What do you think about that decision? And we can talk about Gordon specifically because he sort of, you know, he was the one who all of this kind of really falls on, you know? Yeah, he could reveal it if he yeah, wanted to. He, like, could, he could make the thing crumble. Yeah, and Batman, yeah, Batman made the decision too. But, you know, Bruce goes into hiding. Right. He doesn't really have to interact with anybody anymore. Like, he just is what he is. But Gordon's still there every day doing his job, right. interacting with the people of Gotham. So what do you think? Did they do the right thing? Well, let me, let me, I'll start. That's a good question. Very direct question. I'll get to that. Let me say a couple things in, in leading up to my answer. One, there are two scenes in this film that are perfectly handled, completely Nolan-esque. Cannot think of a better superhero scene than these two. Um, and that is the, the scene um, between Alfred and Bruce on the stairwell. When Alfred says, I have to leave yeah. because I don't agree with what you're doing. And, and Mike. Doesn't Canyon, Bruce tell him to leave because of him keeping the note from him? Yeah, I think he's saying that I can't support this decision. Yeah. So basically, like, yeah. I'm going to, I don't, I can't support this. And then Bruce is like, well, then you just, you're going to have to leave. And he's yeah. like, I'm going to leave because if you're going to keep going down this path, right. I'm an enabler. Right? right. That scene is amazing. The other scene is the scene between Gordon and Blake. Where Gordon, they're watching the news program. Yeah, and Blake is. Just I watched that scene three times last night. Yeah, it's an amazing <laughs> scene. I, I had actually forgotten about it completely, but just and Blake is just basically like, "This is pretty bad," and, you, and this yeah. is like, "You're culpable, man." Your hands look plenty dirty. To exactly, me. exactly. So, um, so I think that they set that scene up really, really well. <laughs> um, I also think that uh, as you asked the question, um, what was the exact question you asked? Was um, hiding the existence of Two Face, so to speak, the right choice? Yeah, and, and I think I'm always. It is so easy. I believe that sin has entered the world. Right. That means mm-hmm. that there's not a single perfect human being on the face of the planet. Right. Um, and all too often we pretend that there are, or we'd like to think that there are. And the reality is, even if your intentions are not wrong, um, which I don't think most people's intentions are wrong. Like, even if you ask, somebody said the other day, and I said this, I think, in our, in our event that we did the other day at APU, I said, somebody, says that, um, somebody said that even villains are the heroes of their own story. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest problem is if you see yourself as a hero, you, you justify your actions, right? And you say like, oh, no, 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 this is justified. I, I can get away with this particular thing. But really, the truth of the matter, and, and this is what's showcased in Nolan in this film, um, based on what Nolan is showing us, is that you cannot you cannot perpetuate a lie. Eventually, right. the truth will come out in right. some way, shape, or form. And I think um, so. I don't think that Gordon had any ill intentions. I think his intention was pure. Clearly, it weighed on his conscience because even as he's speaking out at the event when the film very first starts, he has in his letter the revelation yeah. that this was not what happened and that um, Harvey Dent was not just a squeaky clean uh, person, which which we saw foreshadowed in The Dark Knight because when we talked in the last podcast, one of the things we talked about was how arrogant he was. 
Yeah. Um, as a character. Two-Face was already kind of in there. Two-Face was already in there. Yeah, yeah, it was just waiting to come out. And I think that just reveals something about <clears throat> human nature to me in that you can't perpetuate a lie. The truth will come out. We, it's hard to tell the truth. It's yeah. hard, especially when there are things at stake that are good things. It's really hard when there are good things at stake to think like, oh man, this is going so well. But you can't, you know, I think when it comes down to like communities and intimacy, which we want more intimacy within our communities, you can't have that if everyone's living lies. Yeah. So uh, my answer is, yeah, it's, it's clearly a completely terrible choice. I feel like Gordon's pressured into it from Bruce in a lot of ways, uh -huh. the choice in, in yeah. The Dark Knight. Um, but he's culpable because he goes along with it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's the right choice. I, I mean, obviously, there's some positive, you know, sort of surface level outcomes. Absolutely. Like a thousand inmates in Blackgate Prison mm -hmm. under the Dent Act. Um, but even that itself is the result of, it's you know, it sounds like a piece of legislature. Yeah. Not so much the result of the man himself. Right. Um, but also Blake makes a reference to the fact that those inmates were put in there without possibility of parole. So it sounds like the Dent Act, we don't get the whole story behind it, but it sounds like it might have some, some portions of it that might conflict with the normal judicial system or something like right, that, that right. people may have just been willing to buy into because it was Dent, you know? So I don't know for sure. I'm just sort of extrapolating there, but no, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I was just going to ask you: Do you think the Dent Act is corrupt? So it appears to be, yeah, without, without the knowledge that we have. Yeah, I mean the the spirit behind it is probably good, but yeah. it's cut in corners, right. you know, right? Um, which I think this whole decision is too. I think you know, in the, in our first podcast, we talked about order versus chaos and it really being order versus, I mean, chaos versus harmony. Yep. Not order. I love that. Yeah. And, um, I think this decision goes against a pursuit of harmony. That's a great point. And I think also it sort of sells the citizens of Gotham short, mm -hmm. you know, like they're, they're doing this to protect the citizens of Gotham, but they're not giving them enough credit to you know find out something bad about this guy that they trusted and then make their own decision right you know right so it's that and that's a hard thing because history has shown us that that the masses can panic and the masses can make <laughs> decisions that are not constructive very bad decisions yeah <laughs> so i can understand wanting to avoid that but it it does seem like a a workaround or a band-aid and not the true solution. I think that Nolan, something Nolan does really well is that he pits these, he pits a, a two opposing worldviews against one another around a specific topic. Yeah. And I'm even just thinking of the line as you talked about that. And I don't, I don't even think that, um, that Bane believes this. I think he's just perpetuating the, uh, the opposition to the law, but when he says, um, give it back to the people, you know, you're like, oh, you're like, oh man, like, like in, in your head, you're thinking, but the people are going to do some dumb stuff with this information yeah. too. And I think he's just trying to rile people up and, and have them oppose the law, you know? Yeah. But, um, is it really good counter? Yeah. Cause it's like, oh yeah, they deceived us. We need to take it back. And then there's just like, and he just creates 
chaos again, right? Yeah. So I think that's a really fascinating thing. Yeah. Well, and he even says, you know, when he's in the, the prison with Bruce, he even tells him that he's poisoning the souls of Gotham with hope. Exactly. So he doesn't really believe everything <laughs> he's saying. Right. And in my mind, and we'll talk more about this with characters, but in my mind, as soon as Talia is revealed, mm-hmm. anything that Bane has done ideologically up until that point is just out the window. Like, yeah. It just wasn't even his motivation. Right. You know? Right. He was just there for her. Right. But, um, so, okay, well, characters. Let's yeah. talk about characters. Yeah. Let's start off by checking in with our recurring characters. Um, and we may as well just start right at the top with Bruce. So, and I'll frame this a little bit too. Uh, you know, if you ask Christopher Nolan, he would tell you that the themes for the Dark Knight trilogy are as follows. Batman Begins, the theme is fear. Mm. The Dark Knight, the theme is chaos. Mm. And The Dark Knight Rises, the theme is pain. Got it. And that's clear. All of these characters have their own form of pain. But I think the other side of that pain is hope. Yeah. Um, And I think that's what's really interesting to watch in this movie is the journey that these characters go on from pain to hope or bouncing back and forth throughout the course of the movie. So as we talk about the characters, we kind of think about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, let's talk about Bruce. How do you see that? In Bruce, you know, when we see him, he's essentially been in exile from everybody but Alfred, pretty mm-hmm. much, mm-hmm. for the past eight years. Um, he seems defeated in a way, yeah. you know? Right. Like, I think he probably still believes that maybe he did the right thing at the time, mm-hmm. but it's taken away his reason to live. You right. Know? I mean, he hasn't killed himself, but he's just become this hermit because Batman was sort of his reason to live. And Alfred warned him against that mm. in The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. But now we really see it. Now we really see what Alfred was talking about. We see how empty Bruce is right. without Batman. Right. So what do you, how do you feel about where Bruce is at? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, um, there, there, are some, there are some parts of this movie that I find um, really challenging. Because I think what Nolan would... Some of what occurs in Bruce's character in this film, right, is that he, we can see where he's been placing his identity. Yeah. He, originally, I think he was, he knew what the pain of Gotham was because he'd experienced it as a child. And therefore, what he was doing in his activities as Batman, as a vigilante, vigilante, I have to say say that wrong every time, (laughs) vigilante. You just need to stop correcting yourself. Just let it go. Just let it go. No one's even going to notice. Anyway, so like I think what he does is he he's he's correcting what he sees as a corrupt city and a city that needs justice. Yeah. And in that pursuit, I think that he he starts to create an equal and opposite reaction against that, and we see that in the Joker. Joker Mm -hmm. comes up and is like, well. If this guy thinks that he can bring harmony to the city, I am going to bring chaos to prove his worldview incorrect. Right. And in this, what we see, I think, in this third movie is that we see a guy who has uh, an ideology and he has an identity that is wrapped up in himself being a character that he can no longer be and his whole life crumbles because of it. Right. 
And I think for us, that just speaks to, you know, where do we, where are we putting value in our own identity? And if that were taken away from us, where would we be? Yeah. The thing that I'm challenged about is that the way that he overcomes everything only makes his worldview seem correct in a lot of ways. Mm. And in some regards, I think his world, his worldview is incorrect. Yeah. So it's, it was disappointing to me what I was hoping for when I first saw the film and then like when I saw it several other times. It's one of the things I realized I didn't like about it as much. I would have loved to see Bruce be able to get out of the prison. Mm-hmm through some sort of interaction or engagement with the community. Hmm. In other words, I'm not strong enough. I used to rely on my own strength all the time. Now I'm not strong enough. I need the help of a community to be able to um, accomplish something of value. Yeah. And I think in this film, no one kind of just reiterates, like, <laughs> no, no, it's all about the power of the human spirit to overcome and... But I'm like, you know, what if they what if they had cut off one of his legs? He's not getting out of there. <laughs> like right. he's stuck there. Yeah. So I just I don't know. I mean, unless he got community to help him, whatever. Blah yeah. blah blah. I, that, that was my only disappointment with Bruce's character arc in this regard. Okay. I disagree with that a little bit. Okay. I think there was some community for him there. I mean, he had that guy helping him heal. True. He had the blind guy telling him stories <laughs> about true. Bane. Um. And helping him heal, I think, more psychologically and emotionally, basically by giving him the idea of jumping without the rope. Right. Because to me, and I even I wrote it down because it was a big line, that guy tells Bruce, fear will find you again. Right. Which to me is really poetic because I think that brings him back to the ideology from Batman Begins that helped him want to become Batman in the first place and mm-hmm. help people. Sure. You know, and we talked about it in our podcast. We talked about how fear is not all bad. Right. You need some level of fear right. to help you navigate life. Right. And it kind of seems like in The Dark Knight, he's lost that hmm. to some degree. You know, he's got all his toys. He's got the tumbler. He's got the bat pod. He's right. sort of become invincible, right. you know? Right. Um. And obviously not so in the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises, but maybe he doesn't understand why. So I think there's a lot of poetry to the idea that fear will find you again. I feel like he sort of is returning to the Bruce Wayne of Batman Begins and remembering what this was all about to begin with. Yeah, I can see, I can totally see that. One thing I do like about the arc, so I won't just criticize the arc fully, um, but the character arc of Bruce... And Batman, I do think, ends with him essentially saying, no, the city of Gotham is more important for me to save than for me to continue being the Batman. Yeah. So I do think they do close that loop. Um, I just, I think it's a good message to tell people not to be victims and to keep trying and to keep trying to overcome. That's a really good message. So I'm not trying to communicate that you can't, on your own, try and go about the process of getting a mindset that says, I'm not a victim, I can still do, I can still accomplish. That's a good mindset. I yeah. think the, the problem is if we take that mindset um, over, so for me, I'll put it on my, per- I have a really hard time helping, uh, sorry, I have a really t- a hard time asking people for help. Yeah. So when I see this, this narrative, I'm like, 
But that's how I would try to behave, and I don't want to behave that way. Mm -hmm. I know that that's not good. I know that I need to ask for my community's help more so than that. Yeah. Now, I, under I have also met people who are more on the victim side of things, and they, they always ask for help even when they don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that there's a balance, and I'm too far on one side, right? Um, and that's something I, I would need to work on. But that, that's where I struggle with it because I see it in my own life yeah. as a problem. And I'm like, but where does it end? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that, that whole scene in the prison is, you know, in the comics, so Bane breaks Batman's back in the comics. Right. You know, this is back in the 80s or 90s, or I don't remember how far away that was, but, um, and it's a long time. It's maybe a year before Bruce reclaims being Batman uh, and comes back. Yeah. Um, like, he hands it over to another character named Sean Paul Valley, who is a hero called Azrael. Oh, yeah. Um, who has sort of this, like, demon thing mm -hmm. as part of his power. And it overtakes him, and he becomes this cruel, monstrous Batman, mm. who Bruce eventually has kind of... Not quite. Um, oh, okay. Worse than that. Um, <laughs> and then Bruce, you know, goes through all this rehabilitation for a much longer period of time. Mm. And mm -hmm. is able to heal enough to come back and stop him. Yeah. But even still not to become Batman again. So Dick Grayson becomes Batman for a while. But Got it. So, you know, having that history of having it take so long to rebuild. Right. Seeing it happen so quick in The Dark Knight Rises. Now, I know there's there's supposed to be about five months mm. in there. Sure. You know, because that's how long the bomb was going to take to go off and all of that. Right, right, right. So you have that passage of time. But, you know, as a viewer, it's... Half an hour. Yeah. So, right, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't really get that. But um, I do think... I think there's some community in it for him. I think Blake is part of his community. I think Selena is part of his community. Right. Um, and the, actually, there is a point where he goes to Selena and he says, I need your help. Yeah. And he true. goes to Lucius and he says, I need you to help me get back in the game. True. With Blake, it's more a matter of accepting his help. Yeah. Because Blake is there offering it, you know? Yeah. I have a question for you because you, yeah. you mentioned it. Um, what did you think of the scene where Bane does break Bruce's back or Batman's back? What did you think of that scene? Comparative to the comics. Comparative to the comics? Yeah. Um, gosh, I haven't read that arc in so long in the comics, but I love that scene in the movie. Mm -hmm. My one, not gripe, but... The one thing I would have liked to see a little bit more of yeah. is Bruce's desperation mm -hmm. in the fight yeah. emotionally. Because I think that's why he lost. Not because Bane is a better fighter than he is. I think he lost because he was grasping at something, you know? Yeah. He wanted to just be Batman again and save everybody and right, win right, right, and right, stop right. this guy. And he just wasn't thinking. Right. And he could be taken down easily. So... You get that from it, but I would have liked a larger sense of that. Yeah, there's even some dialogue between them that kind of hints at that a little bit. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but um, so here's the one thing I would say about the difference um, in the comics is that the the scene in the comics, like when when he breaks his back, like the panel of that, yeah, is incredibly dynamic. Right. And obviously, you're dealing with. 
a drawing, so yeah. you can make the and drawing. It's exaggerated. It's exaggerated, right? And there's motion lines. And exactly. I think the word crack right there across the top of the page. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And, and Bane is like three times the size of yeah. Batman. Yeah. Um, he has a little tiny head. He's like giant shoulders. <laughs> uh, but I, the only thing I would say is that I, I felt like um, in the comics, they did a really great job of like, you almost gasp when you see that panel. Yeah, I felt like he kind of because he kind of when he breaks his back, he kind of Bruce kind of rolls off the his knee. Uh-huh. Where in the comics, like it's just a full like I just cracked you over my knee, like yeah. you're there and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, and I think that could have been. So, so my response to the movie was, "Oh, that's it! Like that was the, that, he just broke his back because that it just moved on real quick." Yeah. Right, so I, I would have liked to pause there. I was almost like, "Whoa, he just broke Batman's back! That'd have been crazy." But. See, I think it works for me because two things. One, like you said, in the comics, Bane is this giant. Yeah. He's hulkish. He's huge. And in the movie, he's a big dude, but he's not superhuman. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like the way it happens in the movie is probably just a little bit more realistic to life. Yeah, for sure. But also, I like that it's underplayed because it's even more of a defeat for Batman, you know? Yeah. Like they didn't even give him the satisfaction of the audience gasp or some sort of big musical hit or something to accent how bad what you just saw is. They were like, oh, Bane just broke his back. (laughs) You know? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Which is a good take on it. Yeah, which is a good take on it. It sort of reminds me of, this is way off topic, but it reminds me of an old episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer Hmm. where, um, same kind of dynamic. So, um, I don't know if you watched that show, but... Not much. A little bit. Um, so there's a character named Angel, who was a vampire. Yes. Yes. But he was good. He was a vampire with a soul. David... Uh, David Boreanaz. Yeah. But there was an there's arc... a throwback for you right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, unless you're watching Bones. That's he's true. Been, he's been on that show That's for, true. forever. For longer than Buffy, though. Yeah. But, you know, there was, a, there was an arc where he lost his soul and went evil again. And when he's evil, he's like the worst vampire in history. Okay. And he had a chance to catch... Um, a descendant of this clan of gypsies that cursed him with his soul to begin with. Ooh. He had the chance to catch this woman who was now a teacher at the high school, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. kind of undercover. And um, when he finally catches her, and he's a vampire, you know, he bites, he drinks your blood, he does all that stuff. <laughs> right. When he finally catches her, he just breaks her neck and drops her and doesn't even bother to bite <laughs> it's her. It's like, like not even a big conclusion. Yeah. So I kind of feel like that's sort of the same thing. It's like that shows more evil in it, the villain and the same thing in Bane because it's like you don't even give him the satisfaction you yeah just, you're that's done. true that's you true know? that's a good point I like that um okay let's move on how about Alfred so Alfred is consistently Alfred and Gordon and I've said this on every single podcast they're consistently my favorite characters and I think Nolan handles them brilliantly because you don't look at Bruce Wayne or Batman and be like, "What a guy full of love." You know? <laughs> like, it's just like not your first. It's not your first conclusion. Um, and I say that as a person who considers Batman to be my favorite of all the comic characters, right? So, um, but I don't look at him as a person who I, he, in so many ways, he's as needy as he is helpful. Yeah. Um, he just doesn't deal with intimacy very well, but. Alfred is constantly there. So it, Alfred is the person who's basically like, I'm going to 
love you no matter what. Because I know you need it even though you don't want to need it. And I almost wish that... Okay, so the scene in this one where they're in the Batcave. Yeah. After, just after Bruce's encounter with Selina when she stole the pearls. Yes. And, um, you know, you can tell that this is getting him back into being Batman again. Yep. And Alfred tells him about his vision of oh, yeah. seeing him free. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, I always hoped that for you. I still do. And as I was watching that last night, I almost wanted Bruce to say, you haven't given up on me yet. And had Alfred say, never. You know, like he does in the first movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they didn't do that. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, insert Michael Keane impression. Yeah. I don't know if I have a Michael Keane impression. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Like, uh, there's just... Michael Caine does not play it as if he's a comic book character. He plays it as if he is a surrogate father um, that you'd find in, you know, what is the name of the movie he's in with the, uh, where he's like the headmaster of the orphanage or whatever. There's some of that. He reads off the... Secondhand Lions? Yes. Is that some, it? Something, some, yes. So when it's one of those. It's something wow. like that. Good job. Good. Good. Yeah. good. If, that, if that's correct, I'm assuming it is. But if it's wrong, then yeah, whatever. I mean, like, sorry. You could say, you could you could take the way that Michael Caine handles Alfred and port it into that movie, and it would not feel awkward. Yeah, it has all the same quality as any of his like, you know, quote unquote high art, high exactly. filmmaking, British Shakespeare, anything else he's ever done. It has exactly. the same level. Exactly, and I think that that is. Um, Phenomenal. I mean, like, I just, I love Alfred's character. And I think that he, without, without Alfred, I do think that this particular Batman goes insane. And you could even contrast that with the Batman v Superman, um, Alfred in Jeremy Irons Mm -hmm. and the darkness of Ben Affleck. Like those two guys are more on the same page with what needs to happen to Gotham, right? Yeah. Whereas Alfred's sitting there going like, "No, remember, justice is the and, and harmony are what we're looking for. Right. We're not looking to become the next villain." Yeah, and he's constantly there to remind him that. I just that's phenomenal. Like if you can have if you have friends like that, then you are in a good place. Yeah, I thought that was that was pretty amazing. So I love Alfred. Me too. I think his pain in this movie has so much more to do with Bruce than it does to even do with himself. Totally. Which I think is so true to his character. He doesn't care about himself. He cares about Bruce. Yep. You know? And even when you hear him talk about those seven years when Bruce was gone, he would still, you know, he'd go on holiday, but he would go to this place and dream of seeing Bruce, Yep. dream of seeing Bruce happy. You know? It's like even when he's doing something for himself, he's thinking of Bruce. And I think... You know, I think it's not just because he loves Bruce and he's charged with taking care of him. It has a lot to do with his devotion to Thomas Wayne. Yeah. And fulfilling that after Thomas Wayne is gone. Right. So, yeah, he's one of the most beautiful characters because his pain is beautiful because his pain comes directly from not being able to love as well as he wants to, you know, or having it not accepted as much as he wants to. Well, he even, he even, um, so one of the things that I think is one of the hardest things that we can do is when we know that it's easier to love somebody 
and not withhold that not withhold your presence. And what I mean by that is like we talk that I I've I've dealt with friends who, you know, have family members or other friends who um are addicts or uh who are abusing drugs or alcohol or whatever, right? And they say, and I'm not super familiar with this, but they say that you become an enabler if you continue to love them in the same way and like accept them into the house when they're high or whatever, right? Yeah. And I think we see that in Alfred, like he goes the extra step to say, I love you enough that I'm going to withhold my presence. Yeah. In other words, I'll love you from a distance, but I can't be here and, and still be on board with what you're going to do. Right. And that's, I think, the exemplary form of love, if you can take that to take to that step. And I think that that's just really cool and really well done. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about Gordon. Gordon also still one of my favorites. Yeah, still one of the best. He makes a grave mistake in going along with Bruce's theory. Yeah, like we talked about in the beginning, and I think you see him struggle with that, and he's he doesn't like it. He wants to come clean. He wants to tell the truth, but he's afraid of what will happen if he doesn't. He basically unintentionally becomes what he was trying to prevent in the justice system. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sit lightly with him. So even the, uh, I don't know if he's a police captain or whatever, uh, the guy who's like, oh, Batman's back, we're going to catch him. And, like, and then uh, oh, Blake, yeah. Blake Matthew is, Modine's character. Matthew Modine's character. We even see like Matthew Modine is pretty much like, yeah, we're on top now. We're the police and we're on top. We run the city. Yeah. Gordon, you can tell, doesn't feel that way and doesn't feel that that's good. Yeah. And I think that that's a lot of, pain to live with um, but I think you know he still does he still comes out doing the right things in the end yeah so I think that, that part of it is um, even when he defends himself to Blake I don't think he's doing that as a I made the right choice it's more in my mind when I watch him it's I know I made the wrong choice but how was I supposed to make any other choice at that time yeah. and like being uncomfortable with that I don't know I just I still think that this particular Gordon is phenomenal yeah I do too, and I think, I think sort of the way that he comes back from going along with the Harvey Dent cover-up choice, yeah, is in some ways I think he becomes the hero that they were trying mm. to put Harvey Dent out there as being. Yeah, because you know I said earlier talking about how making that decision doesn't give Gotham credit, right? You know, it doesn't allow them to make up their own mind. Yep, and I feel like Gordon is the one that inspires that in this movie ultimately you know he's part of the reason that batman or that bruce can move on is because by the end of this film the people of gotham city really do take some ownership over their own city Hmm. which i think is a drastic step towards that harmony you know i don't think they achieved harmony by shooting bane and stopping a nuclear bomb but i think (laughs) they're on their way yeah you know, and I think Gordon is the one that inspires that um, by even just by getting the police to rise up. By that one scene where he goes to Matthew Modine's character's house, mm-hmm. um, I, I forget that character's name. It'd be a lot yeah, quicker to say. But he goes to his house because suddenly he realizes he's not around. Like he's not helping anymore. Yeah. So he's just retreated. So he goes to his house, and such a biting line when his wife answers the door, 
And, you know, she says, oh, he's not here. Yeah. And then Gordon just looks past her and says, you let your wife answer the door when the city's under occupation? It's just like, (laughs) Gordon's done. He's done with these cowards, you know? He's like, get off your butt and be part of the solution, (laughs) you know? Right. And it works. He inspires that guy to step up in a way that ultimately takes his life. Yeah. And, And he embodies the corrective action, right? To come clean and say... I, well, I made a mistake, and now I'm going to try and rectify that mistake. Yeah. And help other people rectify that mistake. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah, I love that scene, too, where he's talking to Blake. Um, and actually, this is a good transition. I feel like those three characters are sort of the, the biggest ones mm-hmm. that I wanted to go back in and check with. Obviously, there's others like Lucius and stuff like that. But yeah. those are kind of the big three. So let's transfer into the new characters. Okay. And let's talk about Blake. Let's talk about his pain. Um, And I think hope is a big thing for him because I think the hope and the optimism and the idealism that we find in Blake is a vital part of this movie. Yeah. And I realized that even more watching it this time. And it made me love that character even more. Yeah. Because none of these other characters, except for maybe Alfred because they barely met, but none of these other characters could have gotten to where they ended up mm-hmm. without Blake being in the mix. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So tell me about Blake. How do you, what do you think about him? So here, here's what I think is so amazing about Blake. And this is why I'd love to see them do another movie. Um, I think that let's just say that, um, Batman, the Christian Bale, Batman was going to take up the mantle again. Right. I think he's, he's going to head toward or be drawn toward as he is in the comics, the darker, Ben Affleck style Batman. Yeah. Because this is a guy whose motivation came from a dark place. Right. It's vengeance. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I will say that he understood the problems of Gotham and wanted a solution for them in a way that the police were not able to provide because the police were corrupt. So I'm not saying he did the wrong thing, but his, his desire to help came from a dark place. Yeah. Um, I think that in... In Blake, you find somebody who's already dealt with their demons, so to speak. Yeah. So him taking up the mantle would be a would be like the idealized Batman. Right. And he would be, he would return a certain amount of honor and decorum to Batman that I think would be necessary. Right. So that's my take on Blake. No, that's that's exactly. I was talking to. I seem to mention my wife in every podcast I do, so I'll do it here too. <laughs> yeah. But I was talking to, to Jamie about it last night, and that's exactly what I said to her. Is that the only reason that Bruce can let go and can finally start to live into his own hope mm-hmm. and retire from being Batman is because there still will be a Batman, right? but in some ways, a better Batman. Yep. Because one that is fighting from a clearer perspective. Yes. You know, probably still a vigilante or vigilante, whatever you're more comfortable with. <laughs> but, but like you said, he's dealt with his own demons and I think he's an optimist and I think yes. he's an idealist and I think he's maintained that after working an ugly job, the yeah. same job that Gordon worked, you know, mm-hmm. and, and on the same token, I think he helps Gordon in such a big way too, not just because he challenges him. Right. on the decision that they made but that he's a picture of he comes from the same system 
that Gordon did. Yes. And he came out okay. Yeah. Exactly. You know, he came out optimistic and he came out hopeful. Yep. And he's not corrupt. He's not um, a dirty cop. And he's not leaving it. He's staying there. So I feel like it's a little bit of validation for what Gordon has been trying to do his whole life and maybe got a little off track from at the end of The Dark Knight. And he sees it in Blake and he's like, just like Bruce, he's like, okay, it's not just me. Yeah, I don't have to win this battle myself. This guy can help too. There are other people. And it's that whole thing about sort of allowing Gotham to take control. Yep. Um, so I just think, I think Blake is so important. Yeah, I'm going to bring up a couple topics because you made me think of him in talking about that. One is that um, Blake has seen the result of both issues. Heavy police corruption. Yeah. Because we know he's seen that even if he was just an orphan at the time. He's seen it. Sure. He's experienced it. But then he's also become part of the police force that um, unintentionally through their efforts to create justice and order instead of harmony becomes overbearing in its um, supposed safety. Yeah. Right? Well, and you get the sense that if things were just as bad as they used to be, yeah. these guys would be just as corrupt. Exactly. Matthew Modine would be just as bad as Flass <laughs> yeah. from Batman Begins totally. if things were still that heavy. Totally. You know? Totally. So I think uh, he has the best perspective having seen the extremes of both issues. Yeah. The, the other thing that I think that you said um, that I didn't really pick up on until you said it, which I think um, is just such a cool lesson in life, is that he does push back on authority. Mm -hmm. And just having led teams and having been led by other people, the receptivity from a leader in being pushed against um, is such a huge quality to have as a leader but also to lead people who are willing to push back is such an important part of that as well and i think that um, it's, it's it's exemplified pretty well in his character because at multiple times he's like why are you doing this like yeah. you should do something else and he's almost always right you know yeah uh, which but the respect cool. is still there like when he says exactly when exactly. he's calling jim out and he tells him your hands look pretty dirty to me commissioner Yep. You know, he challenges him, but he still gives him his rightful title, you know? Yep. And, he, and I don't think... He doesn't sound like he's condemning. He sounds no. like he's just encouraging him to do the right thing. Yeah. So, what do you do when you have dirty hands? You go wash them. Yeah. Like, and you got to keep washing your hands because you're going to keep getting dirty. Um, so, anyways. Yeah. That was, that was cool. Yeah. I like that part of it. Yeah, I almost... And, you know, at the end of the movie, there's that scene where they reveal his whole name... And yes. how Thomas Blake is not his whole name. His real first name is Robin. Yes, yes, And yes, I'm yes. kind of like, okay. <laughs> like, you know, even as a diehard Chris Nolan fan, even I was like, you didn't need to do that. Like, <laughs> you captured the spirit of Robin without having to put Robin in this movie. Yeah. You didn't need to throw the name out there. That's true. You know? That is true. I totally agree. Um, now, if you were to say that he... Which Robin is he most lo closely aligned to from the comics, in your mind? I would say Grayson. Dick Grayson. Yeah. Because um, in the comics, Dick Grayson is my favorite character. Yeah. And I think Blake is basically Nightwing in this movie. There's even a point in the movie where what he's wearing mm. is mostly black, but like his lapel... 
has this sort of bluish arc. If you look at it just the right way, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. like, he kind of looks like Nightwing right yeah, there. Yeah. That that's just me being hopeful. Have you but, have you heard the term Disney bounding? And uh, well, no, but I get what you mean just by hearing yeah. you ask me that it's question. It's basically <laughs> like you you like almost dress like a Disney character without actively wearing a costume. Yeah, that's basically what you're yeah. doing. <laughs> Pretty much DC bounding. Yeah, and his name's not Dick Grayson. You know. He's a he's a technically a made up character by Nolan, but everything that I love about Dick Grayson is wrapped up in Thomas Blake because mm-hmm. Dick Grayson is the same thing. His parents were killed, mm-hmm. actually even worse than Blake. They were killed right in front of him, right. just like Bruce. But he's grown up underneath Bruce mm-hmm. and seen what not letting go of that does to a person. Right, and he's been able to let go of it. And he becomes his own man, becomes Nightwing, and has optimism, and has community, and has people around him, and just has a better perspective, and is a more well-rounded individual. Yeah. And I think Blake is the same thing. Like, I know he hasn't lived with Bruce, but he's worked under Gordon, he's watched Batman and observed Bruce from afar. So it's the same dynamic. Totally. You know? Totally. So... I agree with that. I yeah, I would say true. he's like Dick Grayson. And Do you think he's like Damien? Damien. <laughs> oh, we could talk about that someday. I don't like that character. I don't either. But, um, but yeah, my great wish at the end of the movie when they did that whole Robin thing, mm-hmm. my wish was that she was going to see that his real name actually is like Richard Grayson or something yeah, like that. I think that would have cool. been so much better. That would have been cool, yeah. But, you know, whatever. That's okay. We got the spirit of it. Yeah. Um, okay, we've talked a lot about this hopeful character and how great he is. Let's go the other route. Let's mm-hmm. talk about Bane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Bane is an interesting character because uh, he is equal parts desiring of control and yet dedication to the people he truly perceives as his leaders. Does that make sense? In other it words, does, yeah. And, and what I mean by that is like, I mean, the, one of the best scenes in the movie, um, besides, the, besides the Gordon scene and the Alfred scene that I've already mentioned, is when uh, he, puts his, he puts the side of his hand on the guy's shoulder, which just, you can just feel the weight of it for whatever reason. Yeah. It's like, do you feel in control? Yeah. Like, oh, like, oh, yeah. It's like, that, that dude does not feel in control. Yeah. Krennic is in a bad situation. And when someone looks at him and says, you're a big guy, and he says, for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I just thought it was funny to see director Krennic. He's just always getting screwed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so Rogue One connection there. But, um... But yeah, I think so. But he he has a certain amount of dedication to Talia, right? Um, a certain amount. Yeah. Total. Undying. Yeah. To the uh, point where, to me, like I said before, I feel like it invalidates everything he done. Not invalidates, hmm. but it shows you the facade that exists and everything else he had done up to that point. Right. Right. And in in some ways, it actually creates some. Strange, strange issues from a plot perspective. Because if he's all about the League of Shadows, how much can he actually be devoted to Talia, right? Well, that's the thing. I don't think he is all about the League exactly, of Shadows. Exactly. I think that's a smokescreen. Yeah, which is weird because I spent a lot of time on it. Yeah, there's even the vision of Ra's al Ghul coming to Bruce. Uh huh. If it's a vision or if it's real, I mean, I guess you could make an argument there. Well, but... it fades away in front of him. So well, that's true. 
I think it's clearly a vision. Yeah, there are many forms of immortality. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, I, I think that Bane is. I okay. So you said this in the beginning, and I could not agree more. If they would have revealed Talia, at least to us as the audience earlier, I think all of it would have made more sense, and yeah. it would have been. I think you even could have said from for me that the 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 quality of the storytelling would go up, and mm-hmm. so would my likelihood to refer. Because I think it actually, they waited too long on the twists, almost. Um, And it made it seem like Bane goes from being like a person with the, that's basically Ra's al Ghul's mindset. Yeah. Cloned. On crack. Yeah. (laughs) Literally, almost. (laughs) Um, To, oh no, like a, a puppy dog for Talia. Right. So I, I think that switch at the last minute... It, it lets us see that Talia has is a, is a master manipulator and things like that. But I would have liked to see that probably a little bit earlier. Yeah. But so I think Bane, yeah, he's he's not because of all those things. Now I will say this: I think Tom Hardy is. So I said Joseph Gordon-Levitt was one of my favorite actors. Yeah. Tom Hardy would be in that category right now. Oh yeah, amazing to be able but, to play a character without anybody being able to see your mouth. <laughs> Exactly. He does such a good job. He's just good in everything. Even his take. Have you ever, have you ever watched Peaky Blinders? Little bit. Okay. But before he was on it. Yeah. I basically tried to watch the first episode and kind of got bored. But I know he, he doesn't come <laughs> in until later. Yeah, he doesn't come in until later. He comes in the second season. And I'm thinking like I'm going to see a tra- more a little bit more traditional Tom Hardy character. Was it? Was he I don't in? think there is a traditional Tom there Hardy isn't. character. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some consistency between like Warrior and Bane. Is it Warrior or Fighter? He's in one of the two. Warrior. Yeah. Warrior. Fighter is Christian Bale. Yeah. See. Ironically, I'm, I'm so confused. Yeah. But but um, in the, in in uh, in that movie, it's like he plays like a very interesting, quirky character. Yeah. And. Uh, so I can't say enough good things about him. But Bane for me is definitely not as strong as Heath Ledger's Joker. And ultimately not as strong as Ra's al Ghul. Because Ra's al Ghul at all times... I mean, he made Bruce play into his plan. Yeah. And in this, Bane seems like he's trying to... Who cares about Batman? I'm too strong for Batman. And then is all of a sudden like, but I'll do anything for my love. You know what I mean? Like it's just I don't know. It's just kind of a strange one. But... And it's a weird love, too. I don't think it's a romantic love. Right. Because right. she's a kid when he first encounters her. Yes. You know? I think it's just... In some ways, it's sort of like a twisted version of Alfred. Mm. Because it's just like a pure love. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So, I'm going to bring up a really obscure reference as you talk about the relationship between Bane and Talia. Have you ever played um, any of the Bioshock games? No. Okay. So there's a series... Not my kind of geekdom. (laughs) (laughs) No, not really mine either. Uh, I love gaming, but I just don't have the time for it. Um, Bioshock is a a series of games, and it's all about this this community that was started underwater uh, as a secret community to try and be a utopia, Mm -hmm. but ends up becoming a dystopia. And one of the reasons why is because they discovered this like serum that they inject in people and it actually turns them into like monsters as opposed to turning they can become like addicted to it and stuff. Well, there's a character, there's two characters in the game, and people who play the game will recognize what I'm talking about. Um, and one of them is a little girl who carries around basically a shot of this stuff with her, and and 
she always has a big hulking character that follows her around. Uh, partially because he's dedicated to her, but partially because she sometimes will give him a shot of the stuff too. Uh, and that's what okay. it almost seems like. That's the kind of relationship yeah. between them. But um, I sort of equate it to there's a there's a series in Marvel from a few years back where um, mutants were sort of dying out. Mm. They were their numbers were very few, yeah. and there hadn't been a new one in a long time. Mm-hmm. And then this baby was born, who was a mutant. Oh yeah, yeah, and her name was Hope. Yeah, that's not at all on the nose. But um, <laughs> there's a series where she is, I guess, kind of like a preteen. Okay, maybe twelve, thirteen. I don't know, something like that. And to protect her, Cable takes yes. her. And travels through time to keep I, her safe. I think I borrowed this series from it's you. It's really good. Yep. So I sort of see some parallels there too. That's a great example. But that's a great example. Yeah, Bane is is interesting. I think one of the things that sort of struck me about Bane and about Talia too, you know, the whole theme of pain in this movie. Mm-hmm. It seems like they both put themselves in positions to not deal with their pain. Mm. but escape it. Mm. So for Bane, literally, physically, he has the mask that keeps this crippling pain at bay. Yeah. So he's this hulking, massive, unstoppable figure. Yeah. But if you disconnect a little tube next to his nose, <laughs> yeah. he's screwed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then Talia, a little bit more figuratively, you know, she's hiding as another character. She's right. hiding as Miranda Tate. Right. And not really dealing with being who she is, right. but pretending to be somebody else towards this end game, you know, the long game she sort of plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whereas the other characters, our heroes, quote unquote, in the movie, are pretty much facing their pain head on throughout the whole movie. Yes. You know? Yes. That's a great point. So, um, so how about Talia? Do you have any thoughts about her? You know, I don't have a lot. I don't have a ton of thoughts about Talia. The one thing I will say about the entire Nolan series is that I think he does a bit of a disservice to women. Now, not, not to say that he treats women poorly for some reason. No, I can see that. But they're just not given enough weight in the stories. Yeah. Now, granted, the which is not a thing for him because if you look at his other movies, they are exactly. You're right in the Dark Knight trilogy. And I think he's dealing with the material that he's given, right? So, in fact, maybe Interstellar is a direct apology to Anne Hathaway, (laughs) (laughs) right? Selena Kyle. I don't know. Seriously. So I think that that to me is somewhat disappointing. Um, But so Talia doesn't do much for me, really. I mean, like. I think, um, again, I think that her character is, it's really challenging because we haven't talked about Arrival on this podcast, but... Oh, we will. Yeah, we'll have to. We'll have to. (laughs) But in Arrival, Amy Adams is the main character and even plot, even the plot is put at a backseat to her character development and and the understanding of of her arc, if you will. Mm-hmm. So all the other characters, there's no other character that has equal weight to her in the entire movie, right? True. Um, and I think that that's a great way to make films. So I'm actually complimentary of the way that that film was made in that regard, um, because as soon as you try to implement multiple characters, you run into inherent difficulty in doing so. Mm-hmm. 
So I complain about that film from a plot standpoint, and we'll have a podcast about that. And we'll just gonna say, don't say anything bad about it because everybody will just turn this off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, you have a YouTube review that you can go watch, and I know I haven't watched that yet. Yeah, I I don't want to hate you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't think you'll hate me. But um, the this film, she's so far in the background that when she's revealed to be the main villain, you kind of don't care. Right, it's like yeah. it's like oh well, because the film is about Bruce, but she's not. I mean, she's just like paid lip service to in a way. So that's a tough one for me because I don't know how to improve that. I think we could have, they could have, you know, they would have let us in earlier on what her true identity was. We wouldn't have had the big twist. Yeah, but at the same time, I go, but the twist was not worth the weight that it could have been. Yeah, you know, when, if revealed in a different way. So well, I don't know what about you. I think if it was foreshadowed a little bit more, it was foreshadowed a little bit, you know, like you saw the scar on her back, which mm-hmm. was sort of like this mysterious scar, and there were little tiny hints here and there. Yeah. I think if it was foreshadowed a little bit more heavily, even at the risk of giving it away, yeah, it would have been a little stronger. Yeah. Um, if you read into it a little bit, something that I do like getting from her character is... It's sort of a invalidation of Ra's al Ghul. Hmm. So, you know, you have him with all of his ideology and all of his high beliefs and all of his unshakable stuff that he thinks, you know. And then you come around and we finally get to meet his daughter and the product of who he is wrapped up in another person. And... She's screwed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So it's... it's I like that in that it sort of takes Ra's al Ghul off his high horse a little bit and, right. and reveals to us, here's why he was wrong. Not that we necessarily need that. But yeah, yeah I, just, I just wish there was more time as Talia and less time as Miranda. Because as Miranda, she's not as interesting. You know, mm. she's a... She's a tool to help Bruce distract himself from his grief of losing oh, Rachel. Yes. Which, as you say, is a total disservice to a female oh. character. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. She's another cog in the Wayne Enterprises machine, which is uninteresting in right. some ways because, we, you know, we kind of don't care about Wayne Enterprises anymore. Like, that's not who Bruce is anymore, you know? So to kind of be dragged back into that a little bit. Right. So... But the daughter of Ra's al Ghul, and especially such an iconic character from the comics, you mentioned Damien. Mm. In the comics, she is Damien's mother. Right. You right. know? Now, I, I'm glad they didn't do any of that in this, because I actually don't like that character in the comics. Yeah. But <laughs> she is an important character in the comics yes. who is kind of underserved here. Um, now, what do you think... Here's a question for you, because I didn't understand this. There's some reference as if Bane is also... Ra's al Ghul's son. No, could, I think could that's they a, be siblings. No, I think okay. that's a smokescreen. Okay. Um, that is the vision that Bruce has. Right. Nobody ever says that Bane is Ra's al Ghul's son, right. except Bruce. Right. And it's when he's in pain, he's delusional, he's having this vision of Ra's al Ghul. So, yeah. to me, it was clear that he's not. Got it. He's just this protector of Ra's al Ghul's child. Right. To me, that was just another device for trying to conceal Talia's true identity. For a while, they wanted you to believe that 
Bane was was Ra's al Ghul's son, then he was the one that climbed out of the pit. Good point. So good point. I think that's where that comes from, and I think that makes him more interesting because if they were siblings, then his devotion is a little less mysterious, a little less interesting. Right. I think you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. So. Yeah. True. That's a good point. Um, okay, let's hit one more. Let's talk about Selena, who I feel. Although it was a fun character, and I think Anne Hathaway did a great job. Yeah. I do think, talk about underserving a female character. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like she's kind of the weakest character in the movie, which is hard to say because this is a movie I love, and I, I do love her character. But as compared to everything that is around her, yeah, you know, she seems a little bit more utilitarian, a little bit, you know, has a little bit less of an arc. So I don't know. What do you think about Selena? Yeah, a um, couple things. One, I do think that Anne Hathaway is a fantastic actress. That scene alone in the bar after she... Yes. You know, when she's blackmailed that guy yep. and the cops come in and she suddenly is crying all over the place. Like, that was impressive. That was very impressive. She's acting as an actress in a movie, acting as an actress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or acting as a... Yeah. Um, so I do think that she is a phenomenal actress. I, you know, those takes on, there's, I guess you could argue that it's a good take that Selena Kyle isn't as much of a sexy character. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that she's not sexy. I'm saying that she's not overtly so the way that, yeah. the way that we've seen um, Catwoman treated before. Right. But there's a, I guess I could also make the counter argument that that's sort of part of her character and it's somewhat absent here. And I don't think the absence of it makes the character stronger in this case. Mm. So I'll give you a similar example of, of Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. um, still portrayed as a very sexy character, quote unquote, but pretty well done, strong character in that case. And appropriately weak in terms of when we get backstory and we understand yeah. what her weakness is for Joker, like appropriately so. Yeah. Not like in a way that you would judge her or or there's not like there's not as much there's not as much of a female trope. Like, oh, she only cares about she she's only arm candy for the Joker. Like she's really more than that. She's more yeah. complex than that, you know? Yeah. Um, I do think that they're trying to make Selena Kyle more complex in that regard, but she comes nowhere close to being as complex as Rachel was. Right. And so I think it's just a, it almost feels more like a let's throw Catwoman into this film as opposed to let's make Catwoman a core component of this film. Yeah. I think it, I don't think it would have taken much to make it better too. Yeah. Because I think my biggest complaint with her um, actually has to do with her arc or sort of a lack of an arc. Yes. Like she's kind of the same person in the end of the movie that she is in the beginning. Yeah. But she's doing, you know, things that are more good, yep. quote unquote. And she ends up with Bruce in some way. I mean, we don't know how romantic that is. We don't quite get that picture. But right, right. she is clearly a part of his ability to move on and yeah. stop being Batman. Yeah. You know? So, I wish that she had changed to sort of accommodate that throughout the movie, you yeah. know? Yeah. 
in some way, I wish maybe we saw more of a connection between the two of them relationally. I was going to say the same thing. Or saw more of her journey towards sort of letting go of a little bit of this selfish desperation existence that she yeah. has yeah. as a cat burglar, right. you know? Right. Um, so it doesn't have anything to do with Hathaway's performance. Like you said, I think she does great. But just a little bit more of a journey would have been good. And I don't think that would have been too hard. I think you get more journey from her in the middle of the movie. Yeah. After she sells Batman out exactly. to Bane. And then Blake comes and finds her in the airport. Yes. And says, did they kill him? And she's sort of like, she's welling up and she says, I'm not sure. Yeah. Like yeah. that's kind of her biggest moment of growth <laughs> right. in the whole movie. But then they, they sort of backtrack on that. You know what I think would have been really interesting for her character? And you mentioned it too. Like the relationship between her and Bruce, they made that more about Miranda. Yeah. I, I would have loved to see a relationship between Miranda and Catwoman. And see, so if we were, if it was revealed to us that Miranda was Talia earlier and that she was working alongside Catwoman and then there was a clash between those two, uh-huh. that would have been like really cool. Yeah. And I think would have done more justice to both female characters, honestly. Yeah. Um, or even if they don't necessarily fight, but you get to see one of them is manipulating Bruce exactly. and the other one is sort of genuinely aligning with him. Yes. And maybe you know? maybe they're both trying to accomplish the same thing at first, but then but then Catwoman realizes and comes to the recognition that like, you know, that oh, we're doing the wrong thing here. Yeah. You know, something along those lines. But yeah. yeah. Totally. Cool. I feel like that's a good take on characters. I feel like whenever I host this podcast, we spend the most time talking about characters. <laughs> Clearly I like I like characters. Um but I have sort of one final big question that we can talk about before we get there. Was there anything else you had that you wanted to touch on? Or? No, let's go. Let's jump into okay. yours. Yeah. All right. So um, there's a point in the movie where Bane is talking to Bruce in the prison mm-hmm. about how he's torturing him. Right. You know, it's like, not for your body, but for your soul, you know? And, <laughs> That's right. And um, he's we basically... We do the entire podcast as Bane impersonations. I can only do like four or five words and then it starts to suck. <laughs> well, that's you know? me too, yeah. Is that, well, that's all you get out of that. Yeah. 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 But um, he's basically sort of laying his plan out for Bruce, which is kind of a no-no in movies where you have a good villain but in this case it makes sense because there's a purpose behind him explaining everything right you know um and he tells bruce that you know gotham is corrupt and must be allowed to die just like just like ra's al ghul said yeah and he said but as he's doing it um he's going to poison their souls with hope Right. Which is the whole thing about telling them that he's giving the city back to the people, you know, while in reality, there's a time bomb waiting to kill them all. Yeah. You know? Um, and then he says this. He says, there can be no despair without hope. Hmm. So in his mind, he can't accomplish what he's trying to accomplish, which is really pain, which is to bring pain to Gotham. Right. He can't accomplish that without hope, which is the same concept of the prison, right? The reason that prison is so harsh the reason it creates so much despair in these people is because they can see <laughs> right. the entrance. It's I mean, the exit. It's right above them. Yeah. If they could climb, they could get out. Right. But it's beyond their reach. They can't do it. Right. 
So um, just that whole idea of hope versus despair, hope versus pain. Do you see those two as opposites? Um, maybe not opposites. By the way, I think this is a fantastic question. And I think, um, so excellent question. Thank you for hosting this particular episode. Um, I don't know if I would have come up with a question that's good. But I think hope is one of the quintessential things that superhero films, comic book films, are always skating around. Right. And, you know, if you listened to why we started the Reclamation Society, that podcast is done a few weeks ago. You can go back into the past podcast and, and grab it and listen to it. You know that um, in my, from my perspective, um, Bane is correct if you place your hope in the wrong things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... If I hope that um, that Donald Trump is going to be the greatest president that's ever happened before, or if I hope that like we were told to with Obama that Obama was going to bring hope, um, I think you have to ask yourself like, what sort of hope is that? Does that entail? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was uh, I was talking about another comic book um, property, and I was <laughs> and I was thinking to myself like. Oh no! It was, sorry, it was about arrival. It was on my arrival review, mm. and I was saying that I was saying that you know, like inherently, we know that we are going to experience hardship. Yeah. Right. We we can't. We don't know what it's going to be like. We don't have a, a view into how we're going to experience hardship. Right. Right. But I mean, to all the listeners out there, um, I hate to bring your bring your high down today, but. Um, <laughs> You're going to die, right? Like <laughs> you're going to die, your friends are going to die. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, your families are going to your family's going to die. And I think that like, you know, you're going to experience some really terrible things in life. Um now you, there's always you can you can ask a good question about why that's the case, you know. But I think the better question is, how in the world do you find hope if all of those things are true? Right. Um and I think that so what Bain is saying is if you, in my opinion, is that if you have a misplaced hope, you will automatically find yourself experiencing despair. Right. And I think that that's true. If you, if our hope is misplaced, um, then we will automatically experience despair. Now, I think Bane's hope is misplaced because he thinks that he can build a better Gotham, right? And he he can tear it down and rebuild it. Again, if that's his actual it, yeah, end game, yeah. obviously. You could at least say that Ra's al Ghul's hope was misplaced. Yes. Because I think he truly believed that. Yes, exactly. So I think it's a great question because you know, hope and despair are two really important um, concepts. Because in my mind, how you answer the question, where are you placing your hope today, is a quintessential question to your life. Right. And if you say it's in government, guess what? you will face despair at multiple times in your life. Right. Um, if you say that it's family, you, sorry, but you're going to face despair in that as well. Right. Um, and so obviously from my perspective, and if you go back and listen to the, why we, why we do this podcast, why we do the reclamation society, why we do the story geeks podcast, it's to, it's to ask questions just like the one you're asking me now, because at the end of the day, if your hope is not in something greater you are you are um, at, you are you're going to be in big trouble. Now you can tell yourself for a time that it doesn't matter and that the world doesn't matter and that nothing matters and fine, that's fine. I'm going to take a very Deadpool sort of 
agnostic view of the world, which is like, well, if God is out there, he's going to have to deal with me sometime, but whatever, because the world just sucks and I don't care. Right. Yeah, go ahead. You can do that. Um, You won't be a very good person, if I'm going to be honest, and uh, you're going to experience a ton of despair in your life. Yeah. And you're not going to have to do with it other than slough it off. Right. And I think that we weren't built to slough things off. I think we were built to really be impacted by things that are that are full of despair and obviously i put then my hope where i put my hope i put my hope in jesus christ um and and that makes me hopeful right um not only for the future but for the now yeah but you know everyone's going to come up with their own answers to those questions and i think that that's good but at least wrestle with that question Yeah. yeah no i agree i think when i think personally for me i put my hope in the same thing and a part of that is because i firmly believe that Jesus Christ is unchanging, mm-hmm. he's uncompromising, therefore my hope will never be false. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. That's the problem with putting your hope in government mm-hmm. or even in people, despite how great people can be. Yeah. You know, they change, things change. Absolutely. But our belief is that Christ does not change. Right. Um, So that's where my hope comes from, too. Yeah. And having that perspective and watching this movie and reading stories, too, Superman stories, any stories where there's a superhero bringing hope to people. Right. That's great. And it's great to read something about hope and about the pursuit of hope and about some version of the fulfillment of hope. Yeah. And inspiring people. But I always have to come back to this thing that makes it a little bit tragic because I'm like, well, God is nowhere in this story. Yep. You know? Exactly. Batman is as close as you get to God, and that's not God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. Here and so, so the question I'm left with, you know, as hopeful as things feel at the end of this movie, if you sort of put it in more of a real world context, I kind of have to ask myself, is Gotham's newfound hope false? Yep. You know, and what is your answer to that question? I I mean, well, if you want to get into the real nitty gritty of it, yeah, you're talking about people as a collective, which you can't really do. You have to start talking about people as individuals. Sure, sure. So sure. I can't really answer that question. Yeah. yeah. Um, but having that perspective, so if Gotham is seeking to achieve this level of harmony. Yeah. Internally and externally and really move beyond their previous existence. Mm-hmm. If that's their version of hope, um, then I don't think it's false. I think maybe they're finally on that road at least. Sure. You know, because something has been inspired internally within the people in Gotham. Yeah. It's no longer just a dude in a black suit beating up criminals. Right, right, right. You right. know? But obviously comparing it to real life, comparing it to where I put my hope. Yeah. Um, I don't, I would say it's false or it's at least not the whole picture. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, it's not the whole picture. Like, I think you can hope in, in smaller things, right? Yeah. Like, I ha- I'm, my wife and I are going to take a trip to Hawaii this year. And I'm like, I'm very hopeful that that trip will be amazing, right? Like, <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to it because we've had a challenging year in some, in some regards. Um, and that's, I'm hopeful about that. And that's fair. That's great. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, you can be hopeful about things in life as well. That's that's great. And like the Gothamites can be hopeful that their city will be on the right path. We can be hopeful in Obama being a great president like they asked us to be. Uh-huh. Um, 
maybe a little bit more challenging for some of the folks out there to be hopeful about <laughs> Trump. But um, but I think but I think that that's kind of yeah I think you hit the nail on the head. There's degrees of hope, and at the end of the day, though, you know, you start out as a baby, completely reliant upon other people. Yeah. You end life, generally speaking, completely reliant upon other people. Yeah. And that arc is not uh, is not your traditional like hopeful arc. Yeah. <laughs> if you finish that, there's a so, along those lines. There's a great song lyric. Um, because you know I'm also a music geek, but yeah, yeah. There's a great song lyric written by Glenn Phillips, who was the front man for Toad the Wet Sprocket. Oh, or yeah. I guess technically still is. I guess they're back together. Yeah. But um it's one of his solo albums and he has a line in it that says it seems like life is a palindrome you cry when you die and you cry when you're born (laughs) that is a good lyric that's everything that i had it feels weird to finally finish this trilogy i know you know i also like we have to have another podcast on like the trilogy as a whole (laughs) (laughs) or at least more batman podcasts yes you know, because that's what I was when we started all this, right? I was just the Batman guy. Like, I always talk about Batman. <laughs> that's right. And finally branched out of that, but I don't want to leave Batman behind. No, we can't leave Batman totally. behind. Yeah. That's it for today's podcast. Special thanks to Daryl for hosting today. What do you think? Let us know. Write us an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. The email address is in the show notes below if you want to cut and paste. Or check out our community on mz.com. It's a new, friendlier Reddit where we host our discussion board. You can post directly into that group to share your thoughts, and you can even get a conversation started all on your own. The link is in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe, and when you do, write us a review. Make sure you're eligible to win comics from the Reclamation Society by submitting an iTunes review and liking our Facebook page. On your iTunes review, make sure that you leave enough of your name so that we can identify you based on your Facebook uh, name and your iTunes review name. And if you don't want to have an identifiable iTunes review name, that's totally fine. Just shoot us a Facebook message and let us know what your iTunes review handle was. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so make sure you follow us. Links in the show notes. And give us some feedback on what sci-fi, fantasy, or comic book story we should review next. That's it for today's show. As always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.